Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this morning as we uh, come to worship, I don't notice any pressing announcements other than we are uh, delighted to have Tim Kahn and, uh, with us here and Katie. Uh, blessing to have them with us ministering the word uh, throughout the day. Be in prayer for Pastor Walden. And as we are uh, praying for the church this week uh, from Crawley, England, uh, be keeping them uh, in mind as well. Um, for the meditation before worship, um, Martha is going to play hymn number 413 in your hymns of grace. And it's a good hymn as, uh, in, on, as an approach to worship as it, uh, we, in it we confess our sins to God. So if you want to uh, turn to that and look at the words, uh, perhaps uh, as an aid to uh, a confession of sin. So let's just take a couple moments here as she plays uh, through that hymn uh, to uh, prepare our hearts to worship God. Responsive reading this morning in your bulletins will be reviewing 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 5. If you would stand with me, please, for the call to worship. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Amen. Now turn in your hymnals, uh, hymns of grace, hymnals, 
to 184. 184. remain standing for prayer. Our God and our Father, Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope. We thank you for the uh, ministry of the word we have received so far. We thank you for uh, the blessing of communion together, fellowship uh, by the indwelling spirit in each of our hearts. We thank you for unity And we thank you for uh, this hour that we can be together and and glorify you, you, the God and Father of Jesus Christ, the one who is worthy of all praise to receive power and riches, wisdom, strength, honor, glory, blessing. As we offer our uh, praises to you, we pray that you would draw near to us. We pray that... Uh, You will forgive us uh, for our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness through the blood of the Lamb. We confess that uh, we have not obeyed you uh, 
with sin, uh, sinless hearts and we have not uh, um, kept ourselves from things that we should keep ourselves from and we have done things that we should not do and so we ask for your forgiveness and we also thank you that through Christ uh, we have uh, redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. So we pray that uh, that might be our portion as we worship uh, together in this hour. Be with those who are unable to make it because of illness. We pray that you will draw near. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. And turn to him in the hymns of grace, number 171, the King of Love, my shepherd is. 171. Matthew chapter 24, which I will be reading from the NIV, by the way. 
It's a long chapter. I'll make a few comments except to just point to uh, verse 30, which echoes uh, Revelation 1-7 about him coming. Behold, he is coming with clouds and power and great glory. When I read this chapter, I've been a Christian for many years, and I still feel like that blind man who Jesus, after Jesus having spit on his eyes and asked what he sees, well, I see men as trees walking. I don't see clearly uh, everything in this chapter, but verse 30 I see clearly. He is coming. We believe in the visible uh, return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is enough uh, unless God gives that second touch. Jesus touched his eyes again and he saw clearly. So let's pray as we read this that he would uh, touch our eyes uh, to see uh, the glory of these things. Jesus uh, has left the temple. So Matthew 24, verse 1, Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked? Truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming, I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes In various places, all these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, No one would survive, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. At that time, if anyone says to you, look here, is the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, 
I have told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you, there he is out in the wilderness, do not go out. Or here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will the coming of the Son of so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Where there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you will know that it is near, right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered in the ark, They knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Who then is the faithful and wise servant, whom the Master has put in charge of the servants in his household, to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, My master is staying away a long time. And he then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. And at an hour he is not aware of, he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. May God bless his word. Now Brother Wade Perry will come and lead us to the throne of grace. Wade. Please join me in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you, Lord, for your 
kindness and mercy to us. We thank you that we can address you as Father because of the work of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, for adopting us as your children because of his sacrifice on our behalf. We thank you that you are a merciful God and continue to show us mercy each and every day. Father, even us being here today is an example of your mercy toward us. We thank you, Father, that we can be here and hear your word opened, hear it read to us, hear it preached to us, sing hymns of praise to you. We pray, Father, that you would send your spirit, that you might help us to see clearly what is in your word. Pray, Father, that we might be strengthened in our desire to worship you and to glorify you. We pray, Lord, that you would be with your universal church everywhere where your word is opened and has already been opened this day, that you might send your spirit and that, Father, you may bring others unto you, that your name may be honored and glorified. Pray, Lord, that we would be faithful even as we just heard read to us, that we would look forward to your second coming and that we would be constantly seeking to please and honor you and that we would not be caught unaware. So we pray, Lord, that you would help us to be faithful servants of you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now before our brother and friend Tim comes to minister the word, let us turn in our Trinity hymnals to page 100, or hymn number 142, one there is above all others. Shall we stand together as we sing?
Please be seated. Good morning, church. Can everyone hear me okay? I'm on. Thank you for letting me look at God's word with you today, friends. We are going to be in the very last book of the Bible today. As Cliff said, we'll be in the book of Revelation. So you can turn there. Uh, If you can have a Bible open and be able to see the text, that will help you a ton this morning. Uh, The book of Revelation, we, we... know that the Apostle John wrote Revelation. We don't exactly know when he wrote it, but we know the circumstances. We know that Jesus' church is struggling. It's dark times in the first century, right near the, the beginning of the second century. And if you're a Christian, that means that you're a second-class citizen at, at best. Times are dark. Things are not good for the Christians that John is writing to. We're looking at chapter 1 today. There's lots of controversy all over this book, uh, but thankfully not much of it has to do with chapter 1. So by God's grace, we should be good today. Uh, Hopefully I won't lead you astray in anything. Jokingly, I say that, but that's a real danger. There's a real danger in being... Uh, being led astray and in misinterpreting God's word. So may he guard us from that here today. Uh, the title of the book, Revelation, is a Latin word. The, the same Greek word is apocalypse. You've, I'm sure you're familiar with that, but both of the words mean to unveil or reveal or to show something. So God is revealing something through this book. He's showing something to his people. And what he's revealing is that everything is going to be okay. Ultimately, in the end, he's going to win. He's going to conquer every enemy that is standing against him. And that means his church is going to conquer and win and overcome their enemies. God is going to win the war against evil and sin and death He's going to overcome everything that is wrong with this fallen world. Uh, Part of what makes the book of Revelation difficult is that it includes different kinds of literature. And those different kinds of literature, we need to interpret them in different ways. Um, When you read a newspaper, you're going to read the first section different than you're going to read the next section. Uh, We've got sports stories, we've got local news, we've got an economics and business section, even the comics. Uh, Those are all going to be read and interpreted differently. Uh, In this book of Revelation, we've got epistles, we have letters to different churches in the next couple of chapters. We have prophecy where uh, it's being revealed ahead of time what is going to happen in the future. And we've also got apocalyptic literature where all kinds of symbolism is being used. Symbols are, are standing in for realities. So that's what some of what makes the book difficult. Uh, apocalyptic literature, if, you, if you're, um, you can think of the book of Daniel 
and the book of Zechariah in the Old Testament, here's a short definition of, of how to think about apocalyptic literature. Apocalyptic literature is where God supernaturally unveils what is about to take place. So it usually comes through angels, a message that God gives to angels. And in it, God promises to intervene in human history to destroy evil and to bring in his kingdom. So lots of symbolism, lots of fighting conflict, but God is going to work and conquer in, in that conflict. So look with me at chapter 1 of the book. Uh, this is how the ESV translates it. Let's read chapter 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire, his feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace 
and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Don't you just want to sit in that for a while? I, I don't know about you all, but to me, this first chapter of Revelation, it almost feels like a hot tub coming from your troubles, from life's, all of life's struggles. You just want to sit in it and not move and stay here for a while. Take in what we hear about God and soak in what this passage says because it brings so much comfort. I think the, the main idea of chapter 1 of Revelation is this, if you're a note taker. The main idea is press on because Jesus guards his people and judges his enemies. I think that's the main idea of the chapter and so it's, it's the main idea of our sermon today. Press on because Jesus guards his people and judges his enemies. As far as the structure of this chapter, I think we can split this into three sections. So three points in today's sermon. In verses 1 to 3, you have the opening to the whole book. Uh, verses 1 through 3 are going to be point 1, and, and we can label it like this. Believe this message and live by it. That's what John is, is wanting to tell us. Believe this message and live by it. Then, in verses 4 to 8, you have John greeting the seven churches that he's writing to. And he describes God in these verses. He gives a greeting in the name of the Trinity, but especially in Jesus' name. And the descriptions of God and Jesus make that greeting really carry weight. Uh, that's point number two. Greetings in Jesus' name. And then in, in verses 9 through 20, 9 to the end, John describes this vision of meeting Jesus on Patmos as a priest and a judge. So that's our, our third point, Jesus as priest and judge. And here, John tells us even more about Jesus, and he describes him in these vivid, apocalyptic ways. So when we take all of this together, the main point of the chapter is to press on because Jesus guards his people and judges his enemies. So point one in, in the first three verses, believe this message and live by it. That's what John is, is wanting to, to get across. And in verse one, he tells us the purpose of the book. He says it's to show to his servants, Jesus' servants, the things which must soon take place. 
Now, if you think with me of John's gospel, a, a different book in the Bible, do you remember what John says that the purpose of that book is? He tells us in chapter 20 of his gospel, the gospel according to John, he says that that book, in that book, there are signs and miracles and works of Jesus that are written down so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, and the Son of God, and and that by believing, you may have life in his name, eternal life. So that's the purpose of John's gospel, that his audience would trust in Jesus, who died to forgive their sins, and that they'd receive an eternal life as, as a result of that. But the purpose here in Revelation is a little bit different. Revelation's purpose is so that we know what's coming and we'd live accordingly. So in verse 1, this is being revealed to us so that we know what's coming. And in verse 3, we're told that we need to keep it, to live accordingly, not just in our actions, but in our attitudes and in our expectations. Now, in verses 1 and 2, we see the chain of custody that this book has passed through to come to us. And we can be totally confident that it's true because look, at, look in verse 1. God the Father, then Jesus, then an angel, and then John, who writes it down for the churches in his day. And then it's passed all the way to us. And praise God, we even have manuscripts, manuscript evidence for this book to know that this message hasn't changed. In verse 2, John talks about a testimony that's not, not just an official sworn statement, like when we, when we talk about a courtroom setting under oath, uh, I'm swearing that this is the truth. A testimony is, is saying, this is the truth, this is what's happened. But John has been evangelizing and bearing witness to Jesus for years now. He's been telling people about who Jesus is and testifying about what Jesus has done, both in face-to-face conversations, person-to-person that he's been having, but also in his writings. Uh, We don't know when John wrote his different books and letters that are in the New Testament, but those would be included here. Those, Those writings contain testimony about Jesus. Let me read you something, something that John wrote. This is from his first letter, 1 John 5. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony, that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Here in Revelation, verse 3, we see the word blessed. Verse 3 is the the first of seven times throughout this book that John is going to use the word blessed. And I I don't know what you think of when you think of being blessed. But being blessed here means that you're receiving God's favor. You're in a relationship with God such that He is treating you favorably with kindness and goodness and love. And here's what John is getting across If you believe and obey what this book says, you're blessed. Look at at verse 3 with me. It It doesn't just say blessed 
will be those who do this and that. It's actually present tense. It's already true. Blessed is the one who reads, and blessed are those who hear and obey. So if you're walking with Jesus and trying to follow him, then even in the midst of whatever you're going through right now in life today, friends, you are blessed. God is declaring that you are blessed, even if you don't feel it. It's an objective, external fact of reality. And brothers and sisters, we can take comfort in that. On the other hand, we're, we're also going to see in the next verses that Jesus judges his enemies. Anyone who opposes him, and therefore they, they don't care about obeying his words, the words of this prophet, prophecy. So if that describes you today, friend, we're glad that you're here. I'm thrilled that you're here. But we want you to know that if you are opposing the king and the judge of the whole universe, you're not going to win that standoff. You are risking judgment for your sin and your sinfulness. We want you to know that today. When John says that the time is near, I think this is one of the hardest things that we run into in this first chapter of Revelation. Uh, What does that mean? You see back in verse 1 how John said that these things would take place soon. So how should we understand that in 2022? People, people argue over this, over the whole book, but I think that John is referring to what he's going to talk about in the first three chapters of this book. We haven't gotten to everything else yet. Um, the, it can be difficult thinking about the time frames, but remember John's main point here is to believe this message and live by it. Uh, Here's one way to think about the time frame of the book of Revelation. I want to read you what one commentator says here. The book calls upon its readers to act, to heed the message that's conveyed. The message must be attended to since the time is near. Readers must not compromise with the world and grow lackadaisical, as if they had plenty of time to respond. The call to obedience is urgent and must be heeded immediately. So rather than having straight in our heads, this event is going to happen, then this event, then that's going to be followed by this. Rather, I would love to have all of that straight, but I think the main point here is the urgency to to receive this message, believe it, and live in light of it. Next, we come to point number two, blessings in Jesus' name for the next few verses. Greetings, I'm sorry, excuse me. Greetings in Jesus' name. So John is writing to seven real churches in in seven real cities in what we know today as Western Turkey. And he starts off with this greeting in the name of the Trinity, the one who is and who was and is to come. That's, we think of as God the Father, the great I Am, the Ancient of Days. And the seven spirits, that is an apocalyptic way of saying the Holy Spirit. Uh, John actually uses the word seven in this chapter nine times. It's an important, going to be important all throughout the whole book, the number seven. And it signifies completion and completeness. We, we know that God is complete in and of himself. 
And he's going to bring all of creation to completion. He's going to bring this, this whole present age to its appointed end. So the seven spirits, that's the, the completeness of how complete God is in himself, how complete the Holy Spirit is. And then we get to this longer section about Jesus. Look at that. We hear three things about who he is. The faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. And, and then John tells us what Jesus has done. He's the one who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. And he's made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. So friends, verses 5 and 6 in this chapter are the gospel. If you're a Christian, you can, you can think maybe of who you used to be if you, if you lived for a long stretch of time before coming to faith. We used to be spiritually weak, spiritually unable to do good. We were sinners. We were enemies of God. We know all that from Romans 5. But through Jesus' death on a cross, a bloody death on a cross, he's freed us from our sins. He's paid for them. He's our great high priest. He stood for us before God, before his Father. But not only that, he died as our sacrifice so that we could come into God's presence and approach him and be at one with God. That's, that's why it's called atonement, being at one with God. So verses 4, 5, and 6 are some of the most important words in this passage, and they should also be some of the most encouraging for us. Look at verse 4. Grace and peace. Grace to you instead of judgment and condemnation. Peace to you instead of war and wrath. Because of Jesus' cross. In verse 5, he's the faithful witness. He's trustworthy. We can trust what he says to us. He's the firstborn from the dead. He's risen from the dead and he leads the way for his people. And he's the ruler of kings on earth. He's sovereign over the people who seem powerful, the people who seem to be in control. But look at at the middle of verse 5. To him who loves us. Jesus Christ, the Messiah the Son of God, the ruler over all creation, the sovereign over the whole universe, is telling you that he loves you. Even when you don't feel it. Even when the tribulation is intense. Even when it's grinding you down and you don't know how much more you can take. He loves you. And he's going to prove it. In verse 7... John references two passages from the Old Testament about the Messiah. And and both passages there are from apocalyptic books in the Old Testament. When he says he is coming with the clouds, that's pulling from Daniel 7, where Daniel sees Yahweh, the Ancient of Days, sitting on his throne. And then he sees one like a son of man come, And the Son of Man receives dominion and glory and a kingdom. The Son of Man is Jesus' favorite title in the Gospels. It's his main way that he refers to himself. And Daniel says he receives that dominion and glory and kingdom for a purpose. It's so that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. 
And Daniel says that his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. John is going to be reminding us of that all throughout Revelation. Over and over again, Jesus has all the authority and dominion in the world. The other, in, in verse 7, the other messianic passage that verse 7 is referencing is from the prophet Zechariah in Zechariah 12. And we know that it's a, it's a messianic passage because John actually tells us that in his gospel at the crucifixion. Here, John says, All the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Those are, those are unrepentant tribes rebellious peoples. Uh, think, with Psalm, think of Psalm 2 with me. You remember Psalm 2? Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves against Yahweh and against His anointed one. The rulers take counsel together against Yahweh and against His anointed one. They say, let us burst their bonds apart and cast their cords from us. That's Psalm 2. Those kings and those rulers, they don't want to be under this capital R ruler, the king of the universe. They reject him. They don't accept his rulership. But that won't slow him down the slightest bit. It won't stop him or thwart him in his purposes. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, friend, if you're opposing the God of the Bible... You won't win that fight. You cannot win that fight. You will lose and you will wail at the loss. Friend, don't persist in a campaign that is doomed. Come to your senses and make peace with God before it's too late. Come to the cross and give all your rebellion and your sin to Jesus. Let Him pay the debt that you owe for you. Let Him reconcile you to God the Father because that's the only way that you can be reconciled. In, in verse 8, God says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. And in verse 17, Jesus says, I am the first and the last. He's, he's the beginning and the ending and everything in between. You, you can think of heaven and earth and everything in between them. Letter A and letter Z in our alphabet and everything in between them. Uh, he's not just the beginning and the end. He's, he's what this book is all about. He's what your life is all about. And, and all of human history, the point of human history is how do human beings made in God's image be right with God? So thank the Lord we, we have that in this book. It's through Jesus and that's what this, this middle point, point number two, it's, it's describing that for us. So on to point number three, our, our last point here. Jesus as priest and judge. He's the priest and the judge. So in, in the last section here from verse nine to the end of the book, John tells us about this encounter with Jesus. And this is a prime example of what apocalyptic literature is like with all these symbols. John tells us he was on Patmos. Uh, you might picture a rocky, craggy island uh, like the rocks off of the coast of Scotland. I don't know why, but um, when it's illustrated, 
the, the island of Patmos is often illustrated that way. Uh, it gets painted as this gray, overcast, rocky place where people get exiled to, sort of a, a harsh desert island. That's actually not the case. Patmos is, is actually a beautiful, beautiful place. It's, it's a Greek island in the Aegean Sea. Um, you can go on Google Images. The, the pictures on the Internet are, are just gorgeous of the island of Patmos. There's bright colors everywhere, bright blue Caribbean-looking waters. It's, it's, a very, it's almost a resort island. And John's been exiled there because of his testimony because he's been telling the good news about Jesus Christ to everyone who he can. He was witnessing about Jesus, and he, he gets severely punished for it. I said before, we don't, we don't know when this book was written. Uh, most likely the first century A.D., near the end. Uh, in the 50s and 60s, Nero is the emperor of Rome. In the 90s, a man named Domitian is the emperor. Both of those men cracked down really hard on, on the Christian church. Uh, you did not want to be known. I shouldn't say you didn't want to be known, but if you were known to be a Christian, then trials were coming your way. Uh, the Jews did not like you. The Romans did not like you. Uh, anyone who worshipped a, a different deity was not, was not friends with Christians. So John has been exiled here, being punished for the testimony that he's been giving about Jesus. Verse 9, if you look at verse 9, verse 9 blows a hole in what's known as the prosperity gospel. You've got tribulation, you've got exile. John is having to patiently endure through all of this. All of that flies in the face of what prosperity teachers and preachers will try to sell you. They'll try to tell you, as long as you do the right thing, God is going to bless you, prosper you, and he's going to protect you and keep you from all kinds of trials coming into your life. But here we see that bad circumstances have come to John, even though he's been doing all kinds of good things. He's, he's been following the Lord, preaching the gospel, trying to share the gospel with others. So friends, don't believe that bad circumstances mean that you're outside of God's favor. And don't believe that God's favor means that you'll avoid trials and suffering and, and bad negative circumstances. God loves John, and John is still in this situation. He loved John, and he loves you. Let me read you what one commentator says about the start of verse 9. This is the start of verse 9. This commentator says that John forecasts the central admonition of the book in this verse. Believers are called to endure until the end to receive the coming kingdom. So I'm, I'm going to say that again. In verse 9, John forecasts the central admonition of the book. Believers are called to endure until the end to receive the coming kingdom. They're called to endure, to hold on, to persevere, to keep going. So there you go. We've, we've got the central admonition, the central urging for the whole book. Is this what we're expecting? Is, is this what you're expecting? 
tribulation and suffering, eventually reaching the kingdom and and peace, but until then, patient endurance. I think this verse is really interesting because we can tend to focus on one aspect of this without seeing the whole thing, the whole experience. Like, for instance, some people, some families, some churches, they latch on to just the idea that life is all tribulation. Uh, if, if you've seen the old movie, The Princess Bride, uh, remember what the dread pirate Roberts says to the princess in that movie? He tells her, life is pain. So get used to tribulation because that's what's coming. And sometimes it can seem, it can feel like the only thing coming from, from the way people, people can tend to talk. And then others of us, maybe God made us differently just from the start. Maybe it's we were raised differently, our experiences. But others of us can tend to live in a space where the kingdom has arrived, God's kingdom is here, and the upside, the, the positives are all that really get talked about. And people don't, don't really talk about how much trials and suffering and tribulation there is in the Christian life. Incidentally, if you're trying to grow a church, I, I've just finished seminary, um, studying at a seminary. Talking about endurance and suffering is not really likely to get lots of people lining up to join your church. Come, come suffer with us. So it, it can make sense that churches don't address it. But you see how both of those positions, always talking about this or always talking about that, both of those positions are, are kind of extremes. And our view of life should see this whole big picture. What, what John says here should shape how we think about life and what we expect from this life. We go through life enduring trials and in enjoying the parts of God's kingdom that we already experience. We experience some of it now already. And we wait for the kingdom to be fully brought in. Don't be surprised. Re- remember what Peter wrote to us, the Apostle Peter? Don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. Don't be surprised as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, so that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So when we suffer, we rejoice in light of the kingdom because we know his glory is coming. And and Peter tells us also, he says, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Think of what that must have sounded like. Think of what Peter's letters, John's revelation here, how much comfort that's going to give the early church. If, if you're living in Rome as a Christian and you're suffering under Nero or Domitian, the emperor Nero, he used people as human torches to light up his gardens at night for festivals, Right? Nero brings his friends, his, his Roman um, aristocracy around him, and to throw a party at night, we don't have, they don't have electricity. We're, we need fire somewhere. Human torches is what was used. So real suffering, intense suffering, 
probably more intense in some ways than, than anything we face today, but, but also not to write off what we go through. So we can expect suffering in this life, and yet we can entrust our souls to God and still be joyful as we go through life here. And when you're suffering, think, think about this, when you're suffering, what is it that makes endurance possible for us? for all of us. It's hope. Hope is what keeps us going. Uh, In Romans 5, Paul tells us that we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, even though we're suffering, even though we're going through trials there. So here in Revelation, what hope does does John give us? What's the incentive or the reason that he gives us to endure and to hold on? Well, partly, it's, it's the description that we just saw in the last section. It's the description of the Trinity that he gave us in verses 4 to 8 and of, and of Jesus. But, but also, it's this description now of Jesus that he's about to give us in these verses in, in this third section of the book. This is a lot of apocalyptic language in verses 12 to 16, uh, even through the end. 12 to verse 20. Some of it John explains to us here. Some of it we can understand because he's pulling from the Old Testament and we know what the Old Testament was trying to communicate. Some of it, we honestly, we don't know. It can be hard to, hard to understand apocalyptic language. But all of it is meant to encourage us as readers. Uh, in, in these verses, verses 9 to 20, John is pulling from a whole lot of Old Testament passages, mainly from the prophets, and they all have to do with God either being a priest or with God being a judge and bringing judgment. So some of it describes how God, uh, how priests would dress in the Old Testament. He's using descriptions of, of priestly garments and priestly appearances in the Old Testament. Uh, Some of it comes from passages where the prophets are describing God himself, how God appears to people in visions. When you think of Daniel's vision in chapter 7 of Daniel, some some of these descriptions here in Revelation 1 come from passages that talk about God's authority and how he has the right to judge his creation. So we hear here that Jesus has a voice like a trumpet like the sound of many waters, the roar of many waters. Imagine that sound of, of many waters. Can you hear that? Can you imagine that? There's, there's so, many, so many bright, vivid words and, and ideas here, pictures that we're given. A golden sash around his chest, holding his priestly robes together. The hairs of his head are white like wool, like snow. His eyes are burning. Imagine making eye contact, trying to make eye contact with this figure. His voice was like the roar of many waters. Hard to tolerate, hard to hear. When John hears all of this and he sees Jesus, remember this is, Jesus is John's friend, isn't he? When you read John's gospel, John is, at the Last Supper, John is leaning back, reclining on Jesus. He's, he's the one who Jesus loved. But this is not a buddy-buddy 
friendship that is being described here. John reacts the way Isaiah reacts. Uh, Isaiah talks about in the Old Testament, woe is me, I am undone. I'm an unclean man and I'm in the presence of God right now. So John says he drops, he falls to the ground like a dead man, like a corpse with this dread that has come over him. But what does Jesus do? He comforts him. He encourages him. He, tell, he tells him to stand. In verse 18, Jesus has the keys of death and Hades. That means he has ownership and authority over death and Hades because he has conquered them. He's gone in and he's come back out and he's leading all of his people out as well. Uh, you remember the Great Commission when Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then he sends out his disciples to, to do work in his name. In, in verse 17, I don't know if, if you all sing this, uh, this song. There's an old hymn that you might know. Uh, the song tells you to turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full into his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I think, in a way, that is true for John in, in this uh, chapter that we read about, but not, not necessarily true in the way that we think about it. So this, this vision of Jesus that John sees, the Son of Man, the Word of God, and everything that Jesus has to say to us through John, there are groups who will tell you that this isn't enough. This, what we have in the Bible, this can't be the first and the last and the final word. You need more to know who God is. Uh, either you need more revelation, they'll tell you. Either you need to hear more from God, or you need a higher authority to tell you how to understand God's word. Friends, don't believe that claim. Don't believe that. Even if it's an angel from heaven telling you that you need more besides Jesus and besides his word, don't believe it. He says, I am the first and the last. Uh, like earlier, we heard God is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the end all be all. Jesus Christ is the final word. So you do not need the Quran. You do not need the Book of Mormon. And you don't need any new Roman Catholic developments over the last centuries, hundreds of years. You need to know Jesus Christ. And we need to study the Bible to see how it describes Jesus and what he has done. If you look at verse 19, Christians in, in some theological traditions, in, in different denominations, some Christians take verse 19 as kind of the roadmap for the whole book. And they say this. They say, look in, in verse 19, Jesus tells John to write down, things that are past, the things that you have seen, and then things that are present, those things that are now, and then those things that are still future, those that are to take place after this. And, and they conclude that from that, the whole book is going to follow this sequence, that first he's going to talk about the past, then the present events, present day events in his time, and then future prophetic events that are yet to come. I don't think that's what John intended, but this is a complicated issue and that's another part of why Revelation 
uh, why, why you hear so many different interpretations of the book. For us in this room today, I know we, we haven't literally seen what John saw with our own eyes. We, we haven't had visions like this. Um, we, don't, we don't get to communicate with God like that. But if you belong to Jesus, friend, he's given you this word. He's, he's called you out of sin's darkness and into his light. And though you don't see him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. We're going to obtain the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. So I know, I know many people can be tempted. I, I, want more, I, want a, I want more of a feeling of closeness with God. I want to receive more than what I've been given in his word. Friends, we don't need more. But what we do need to, is to understand what we've been given so that we know what God wants from us. So let me encourage you all today, if, if you find yourself with some free time this week, read through the rest of the book of Revelation. Uh, I know that's easier said than done, and I'm sure some of you are already, many of you already feel pressure just to get everything done that you need to in a week. But for some of you, it could be a big, big encouragement. It takes about an hour, slightly over an hour, to read the book of Revelation. And remember, what John is pressing in, what, what he's wanting to get across to us, is to hold on, to endure, to press on, because Jesus is guarding you, he's guarding his people, and he will judge his enemies. If, if you're an enemy of Jesus Christ, then friend, I'm begging you, don't leave here today as his enemy. Don't think that you'll get away from his judgment. Come to him for life, and he will guard you just like he guards all of his people. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise you. Lord, we praise you because your son is faithful. Your son has overcome death, and he's ruling over our world right now. Thank you for grace and for peace. Lord, you know what each person here is going through right now in life. Give us what we need to press on. Give us what we need to endure. Keep us faithful this week and preserve us through all of our trials. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Closing, let's turn to hymn number 155. That's in the hymns of grace. 155 in the hymns of grace. Shall we stand together as we sing?